grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson for this 22nd Sunday after Pentecost is found recorded in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, beginning at the 10th verse. All of these texts, well, especially the Old Testament and the Gospel reading for this morning, once again, focus in on greatness, but looks at greatness in the eyes of being a servant, because that's what God calls greatness. And we certainly hear about greatness when we read from Isaiah chapter 53, which is the prophecy of the coming Messiah and who he would be and what he would do. Here's what was announced 700 years before the birth of Christ. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to allow him to suffer. Because he made his life a guilt offering, he will see offspring. He will prolong his days and the, gracious, and the Lord's gracious plan will succeed in his hand. After his soul experiences anguish, he will see the light of life. He will provide satisfaction. Through their knowledge of him, my just servant will justify the many, for he himself carried their guilt. Therefore I will give him an allotment among the great, and with the strong he will share plunder. Because he poured out his life to death, and he let himself be counted with the rebellious sinners. He himself carried the sins of many, and he intercedes for the rebels. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, beginning at the ninth verse. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God rested from his work. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the point of dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, even being able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from him, but everything is uncovered and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we will give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, namely Jesus, the Son of God, let us continue to hold on to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning at the 35th verse. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we wish that you would do for us whatever we ask. 
He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Promise that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? We can, they replied. Jesus told them, you will drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. But to sit at my right or at my left is not for me to give. Rather, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they were angry with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them. But that is not the way it is to be among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning at the 35th verse. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we wish that you would do for us whatever we ask. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Prepare, promise that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? We can, they replied. Jesus told them, you will drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. But to sit at my right or at my left is not for me to give. Rather, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they were angry with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But that is not the way it is to be among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what makes a person great? Is it because he thinks he's great? Or is it because people see him as great and let him know? There was a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, and the quarterback was considered pretty great. This is Brett Favre, who in 1996 took the Packers to the Super Bowl after, oh, after decades of not hardly reaching the playoffs. He broke most of the passing records, including the record for throwing the most interceptions. 
It was interesting that he had a falling out with the Green Bay Packer organization in Wisconsin, and he left the Green Bay Packers and went to the Minnesota Vikings to become their quarterback. And people in Wisconsin were just angry, irate. They were extremely upset with him. How could he go to the Minnesota Vikings because they were the ones that played within that division and they were the enemies? How could he forsake the Green Bay Packers by such a horrible act? Well, reporters in questioning him started asking him, about his legacy and about his greatness. By such an act, wasn't he putting his legacy and greatness on the line? Isn't he finally destroying it? And I remember his response to the reporters. My legacy is mine to do with what I want. I don't care what you guys think of my legacy or about my greatness. So I ask the question again, is greatness based on what you think or is it based on what people say? I bring up this whole thing about greatness because it has come up in our text over the last couple weeks, a couple times. The disciples were actually arguing among themselves of which of them was the greatest. You would think of all the things that they could have discussed they really made a big deal out of this. In fact, it became such a big deal that they were arguing over greatness even on the night that Jesus was betrayed. On the evening before his death on the cross, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper for his disciples and was celebrating with them the last time the Passover meal, which he was eager to do, they were arguing over who was great. And that led Jesus to actually wash all of their feet, telling them to go do likewise. Greatness. Arguing over greatness. Oh, yes. In fact, one of the first times is actually before our text. And during that time when they were arguing over greatness, Jesus actually took a little child placed that child on his lap and said to his disciples, and especially his apostles, whoever welcomes this little child welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Well, a little while later, Jesus was having another discussion with his disciples, and this time it wasn't over greatness, but rather specifically what heaven was going to be like. And Jesus said some words that are very profound and very touching, in fact. He told them that the apostles would sit on thrones in heaven, and on these thrones they would be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, here, this discussion on greatness, and now hearing about sitting on thrones in heaven, has clearly led two of the apostles, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, to now come to Jesus with a request. In the Gospel of Matthew, we're told that they weren't the only two that approached him. They actually got their mom involved, and she also came to put some pressure on Jesus. And when they asked their question, they didn't come out direct. 
they actually were quite on the deceptive side. They, they would come and say, Teacher, we wish that you would do for us whatever we ask. They were trying to, without even hearing what they're going to ask, they already wanted him to swear to his promise, and therefore he would have to hold to that promise. He couldn't get out of it. Well, of course, Jesus wouldn't fall for that trap, even with his apostles. So he asked them, what is your request? Promise that we may sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. He makes it very clear to them that this is not for him to give, for these places have already been prepared. And he's not taking it away from those that it was already prepared for. But to sit on the left and on the right, well, that in, in a throne room, well, those are the two greatest seats. To sit on the right and on the left, these are the places of honor. These are the places of glory and power. And these are the places that James and John wanted. In fact, they were asking for it. But before Jesus responded with telling them that he could not give them those places, he said something that was extremely interesting. He said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? With not even knowing what he was really talking about, they said, we can. And then he replies, you will drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. This is parable. These are parable words that have earthly meaning. And so what is he talking about? This cup he's going to drink and this baptism that he's going to have to endure. Well, the first place, anytime you have a parable, you always look at the context. And right before our section, we have these words of Jesus as they were traveling along to Jerusalem. He would tell them the reason why he was going. He said to them, Look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the experts in the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. These are the most details that Jesus has given so far when it comes to facing what is going to happen in Jerusalem knowing these words and also knowing that in the Old Testament the drinking of a cup was oftentimes a metaphor for drinking and suffering, taking suffering, enduring suffering. So it's not surprising that the suffering is going to be handed over, betrayed by the chief priests and experts in the law and be condemned to death and handed over to the Gentiles, in other words, the Romans. Therefore, the baptism has to be if the cup is suffering, the baptism is an earthly word, and the heavenly meaning is his death, which he will conquer. In fact, he will offer his life later. He will tell his disciples he's going to offer his life as a ransom, as a payment, paying the debt that we owe because of our sins, paying, paying that price that is needed 
to free us from the slavery of sin and the fear of death. As Martin Luther would put it, it is not with gold or silver, but it is with his innocent suffering and death, his holy precious blood that he offered for the sins of the world. He suffered the punishment for sin, which you and I could not suffer. He did it in our behalf so that we would have life and have life eternal. So can they suffer and drink the cup that he's going to drink? Can they face the death that Jesus is going to face and conquer it and live? No way they could. But they said they could. In fact, no one can, only one can be the Savior, the one who is the Son of God and who calls himself here the Son of Man, the one who took on human flesh to be our brother, to be our substitute, taking our place and winning for us eternal salvation. So what does Jesus mean when you too will drink the cup that I drink. And you too will be baptized with the baptism I will be baptized with. These words always take me back to some earlier words that Jesus said. And always when we come to interpret scripture, we always let scripture interpret itself. And I think of the words, I can't help but think of the words of Jesus when he described what it means to be a disciple, and he spoke of it in three parts. The first part of being a disciple is to deny yourself. Deny that you can save yourself. Deny that, that you are the one who can earn God's favor, when by nature we are sinful human beings who only deserve God's wrath. And along with denying yourself, he will also go on to say, take up your cross. Now for Jesus, he was nailed to the cross, paying for the sins of the world. So what would be the cross for us? It can't be that one, because that's a payment we cannot make. So the cross we endure, many say, well, it's really any type of tribulations or, or troubles or trials you may face in life. But actually, the word cross is more than that. Taking up your cross is taking up and facing all the troubles and persecution that come because you are a disciple of Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus, if they hate you, it's not you they really hate, it's me because you belong to Christ. As disciples of Jesus, we face persecution and we face it every day. So what is this suffering and death that we're going to have to endure? Well, for John, because of the name of Jesus, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. They sent him there to try to silence him. For James, he was actually the first of the apostles to be martyred. He died proclaiming the name of Christ by the sword of King Herod. Yes, they would drink the cup that Jesus drank, and they would be baptized with the baptism that Jesus would be baptized with. And by the way, along with taking up your cross, follow Jesus, follow his word, 
Take to heart his word. Look to his word. Obey his word. This is following Jesus. And it is because of Jesus that we have strength and hope. Even in the face of persecution. Because of the name of Jesus Christ. Whom we hold dear to our hearts. My dear friends, as disciples of Jesus, you too will face persecutions in your life. Probably it's happening right now. You too will find yourself being troubled with people who want to silence you or change your beliefs or tell you under this false doctrine called tolerance that you need to tolerate the unbelief that is out there instead of holding to God's word when it comes to life. My dear friends, take up your cross and know that you are not alone. You have a Savior who says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And cling to that word and hold it dear. Because there is no precious word in all the world than God's word, the Bible. Read it, study it, take it to heart, live it. That's why God gave us his word. Not to sit on the shelf collecting dust. And use that word as you pray to the Lord Almighty, knowing that he'll hear and answer your prayers. And above all, as you read that word, take to heart the warning that he gives, especially the warning to watch out for false prophets. As Jesus put it, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are, they are ferocious wolves. They're the wolves. They're the sheep's worst enemy. Hold to that word. Use it to test the pastors and teachers, but always, always have God's word be the final say, because it is. Great is to take up the cross and follow Jesus. By the way, the disciples, the other ten, when they heard what James and John did, they were extremely, extremely angry. In the original language, the word is they were indignant. They were appalled by what these two had done. And to really put a stop to any fighting that could easily follow, Jesus now will say words that he will repeat over and over again. Even on that Monday, Thursday night, he will repeat these words again. And what in these words, he, what he is doing is he's comparing two kingdoms the kingdoms of the world to the kingdom of God. So we're looking at what the kingdoms of this world says is greatness and what the kingdom of God calls greatness. When it comes to the kingdom of this world and the, and the kingdom of God, what they call greatness is not the same. In fact, they're complete opposites. 
For the kingdom of this world sees greatness in the fact that there are those who lord it over them. There are great ones who exercise authority. They have power and power over people's lives. So that's how they see greatness. Being first, being number one. Being the master of all. But not so with God. Being great is not first. It's actually being last. Being great is not being the master and Lord. It's being a, a servant. Which literally means a helper. And not only be a servant, be a slave. And that word slave means you're putting yourself under someone else's will. He says here, to be a slave of all. I can't help but think of the words that the apostle wrote, Paul wrote to the Philippians when he made it very clear that it is not our purpose in life is to seek selfish ambition or vain conceit, but even consider other people's interests above your own. Have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Being a servant and a slave to others. The one word that is not found here, but the word that is clearly being taught is the word humility. By world standards, that word is weak. That word is despicable. That word is not something people seek. It is something people are appalled by. But in God's eyes, the one who made us and saved us eyes, this is one of the greatest virtues in a Christian's life. Humility. We have before us, really, in a most beautiful way, what the purpose of life is. The purpose of this life is to seek greatness, absolutely. But not greatness in the eyes of the world, but greatness in the eyes of the Lord. Yes, my friends, seek greatness. And there is truly nothing greater in all the world but to be a servant of the Lord. And that means to be a servant who takes up his cross and will become a suffering servant always following Christ above all. But he is also a humble servant who takes to heart the very precious words of God, love your neighbor as yourself. So dear friends, as disciples of Jesus, understand who you really are. You are more than believers. You are more than Christians. You are more than disciples. You are servants, all to the glory of God. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.com.
www.wikipedia.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.